chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Paul is dealing with this matter of promise. Verse 13 of Romans 4, For the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it is by faith, that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you who is the father of us all in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, or literally calls the things which do not exist as existing. Amen. You may be seated. It's been two weeks now since our last study. So I thought it might be good for us to remind ourselves of where we are and uh, where we've come thus far. The subject that Paul is dealing with in Romans 4 is what? said we were going to remind ourselves of where, (laughs) where are we. What is the subject he's dealing with in Romans 4? Faith, let's be just a little more specific. That's close. Alright, justification by faith. Justification by faith is particularly the theme of Romans 4. And who does Paul concentrate on in considering justification by faith? He concentrates on Abraham, and then the question is, Why? Why does he concentrate on Abraham? Why pick Abraham out of all? I mean, there's a lot of people that were examples of faith. Think of Hebrews 11. Uh, One example of faith after another. Why would Abraham be so important to Paul? Abraham was before the law. All right. Abraham was before the law. That's kind of a subsidiary to the big thing that I'd say, and that is, they all considered him to be their father. Well, why'd they consider him to be their father? Well, um, partly they had mistaken ideas just because, you know, they were physical children of Abraham, but partly it was right because Abraham is set forth in the Bible as the great pattern or example of all of those who are his children. Now, Paul gets into that, and he says... Uh, There's a lot more here than meets the eye. There's a lot more than just the physical descendants of Abraham. So I say Paul, the way I would put it is like this. Paul centers his attention on Abraham 
because Abraham is the great exemplar or pattern in the Bible of justification by faith. Uh, In fact, the very first mention of faith, direct mention of faith in the Bible, has to do with the justification of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So see, uh, he is the father of the faithful, and he's the example, and we can learn so much from him as the pattern. Uh, First of all, we learn that uh, from Abraham that justification is by faith. The first thing you learn, that justification is by faith. And then we also learn that justification involves the imputation of righteousness, the counting of righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You don't have any righteousness of your own, but something is counted to you that comes to you from outside. And you learn that from the case of Abraham. From Abraham, you learn uh, that religious ceremonies don't have anything to do with being made right in the sight of God. Uh, In particular, even covenant signs like circumcision don't have anything to do with being made right in the sight of God. Uh, You can sprinkle water on that little baby. It doesn't have anything to do with that baby going to heaven. Not a thing. And so, or you can be immersed in water. It doesn't have anything to do with you going to heaven. You see, those we learn all that from the case of Abraham. God justified him when he believed. It didn't have anything to do with those signs that related to the covenants and so on. And then also we learn from Abraham, and this is what we looked at last time, and that is that salvation, we learn from Abraham that salvation is by way of promise. It's based on promise. Therefore, it cannot be based on or be contingent upon in any way human merit or keeping the law or anything like that, anything that comes from human performance. Because salvation is based on promise, it cannot be in any way hinged on human performance. Now that is a big thing, isn't it? It's amazing how big that is. And uh, what a wonderful thing this whole concept of promise is. When God entered into covenant with Abraham, that covenant was a covenant of promise. Uh, It was just uh, loaded with promises that God made to him. They weren't conditioned on keeping the law or anything like that. As uh, Brad said, the law came 430 years later. So this was just promise that uh, God made to Abraham. Hebrews 6, 13 and 14, it says, When God made the promise, there it is again, when God made the promise to Abraham, Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. God swore. He took an oath that he would do this. Now, with God, his his word is as good as, I mean, the fact that God says something, period, is enough. But in order to help us out, he even swore. He says, I swear, I will swear by myself. And uh, when men take oaths, they swear by someone greater. Uh, For example, in the court of law, at least uh, this is the foundation of 
the oath in the court of law. We've lost this more and more in America. But it's you swear, you put your hand on the Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. That means God is watching over this oath that you've taken. And He's going to punish you if you are lying. You see, that's the idea. Well, how, who's God going to swear by? There's nobody greater than Himself by whom He can swear. And so He swears by Himself that He will surely, He says, surely I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And it's wonderful as you look back to the account of Abraham just to look at the word surely and how much the word surely comes up. Um, Genesis 18.10, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, that's, it's just, it was just going to happen. I will surely return to you at this time next year. And uh, so Isaac was born as a child of promise. And a little bit later, it says in Genesis 21, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. There's the idea. He promises, he says, surely I'll do this, and then he does as he has said and as he had promised. Again, in uh, Genesis 18, uh, 17 and 18, he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? It's surely going to happen. And here's another one, Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, and that's what, the writer to the Hebrews was referring to this verse. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You see... All of these things are certainties, and that's Paul's whole argument. The promises cannot be real promises, that is, real certainties. They cannot be certainties if they're contingent upon what man's going to do. Uh, if our keeping the law or our merit has anything to do with their fulfillment, then they cannot be certainties. Why is that? Well, because the law... <clears throat> Paul says this in verse 15, the law brings about wrath. Uh, all men do under the law is fail to keep it. And that brings condemnation and wrath upon them. And if, if, the, if the salvation were contingent upon that, everybody would be condemned and under the wrath of God. So that's his argument thus far. In fact, men not only fail to keep the law, but they fail to even seek God or fear God. And he's already dealt with that back in chapter 3, uh, verse 10, where he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. So it, let's suppose God just said, Well, you don't have to keep the law. All you have to do is seek me. There's nobody that does that even. Uh, 
There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, God says, well, you don't have to seek me. You just have to fear me. There's no fear of God before their eyes. See, so if it's contingent in any way upon man, all the promises will fail for all the seed. No one will ever be saved. But on the other hand, if human performance has nothing to do with it, and it's based solely upon promise, the promise will be certain to all the seed. It will be fulfilled and certain. Uh, Where no law is, where no contingencies are, nothing based upon man, then there's no possibility of anything going wrong. Now that's what he says in the last half of verse 15. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. See, this was given a long time before the law of Moses, and it was not dependent upon law in any sense of the word, not just the law of Moses. Well, as a result of that then, verse 16, salvation is certain. Verse 16, for this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. If you're a Christian today, the reason you're a Christian is because God made a promise to a man 4,000 years ago who came out of Ur of the Chaldees. And the promise was that he was going to have a multitude of children. That was the promise. He just said, you're going to have a vast multitude of children. That's the reason that we're here today if we're Christians. Uh, because of that promise. And actually, not just a promise made to Abraham, but a promise made to his seed, his one seed, that is Christ. And Paul brings that out in Galatians. Um, God promised Abraham's seed that he would inherit the world. And Abraham's seed was Christ. Well... um, Paul says that very clearly in Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. And again in Galatians 4.28 and 29, you brethren, like Isaac was, you are children of promise, supernaturally born, born according to the Spirit, he says in the next verse. So, We're heirs according to the promise. Now, those promises that God made to Abraham and particularly to Christ 4,000 years ago are still in effect, and we are the true heirs of those promises. We're the true children of Abraham. So the question comes up, and what I want us to do today is just to look at some of those promises that were made to Abraham. And... um, First of all, I think we just need to go back and get the basic things. And we looked at these uh, whenever we discussed the law of Christ. But uh, I think it would be good to review those. And so let's do that first, and then we'll move on to some other promises. What was the most basic promise that God made to Abraham? And that may, be, that may not be even quite accurate. But one of the first things, that, what, what was the big deal with Abraham? He didn't have any children. 
And so the first thing he said, he promised him a seed. He promised him a, a son, a child. And that child was Isaac. But Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that Isaac was not the real fulfillment of that promise, that that promise ultimately related to who? Christ. And so we have the, the promise, first of all then, if you want to start thinking, what are these promises that were made to Abraham? Well, he promised him a seed, and that seed was Christ. Our blessing comes only by being in Christ. That's the way that we get in on these promises. Because we become, when we, if Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. That's how you get in. That's how you are made partakers of the promises. What else did God promise Abraham? <clears throat> he promised him a land. And the land um, was the land of Israel. But we're told that Abraham wasn't satisfied with that. He was looking for a different country than that. He was looking for a heavenly country. And so what is the land? What's, what's it mean that God promised Abraham and his seed the land? We looked at this a little bit last week. What's that correspond to? Anyone? What's that? Okay. What what when we think about heaven, what does that involve? We according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth. And the promise look at what it says in verse uh, Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, his seed, that he would be heir of the world. Heir of the world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit heaven. That's the way we usually think, isn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And a lot of what we think of as heaven is just this world after it's been recreated and there's no sin here. Now that's that's something, isn't it? So, and the, the answer, heaven is not wrong because he's looking for a better country that is a heavenly one. That includes this world, the new heavens, and the new earth. This new world and the new heavens. So when God promised Abraham a land, he says, I'm going to give you a vast inheritance of land. He's talking about Christians in Christ inheriting everything that there is the new heavens and the new earth and particularly this renewed world uh, you wonder what's an what's the new earth going to be like i mean is it is it going to be totally different or is there going to be anything recognizable i mean will you recognize the mississippi or the pacific ocean or you know we have no idea things are going to be burnt up by fire we don't know what that means for sure but um God has promised us as the, and he says this in verse 13, he has promised us as the 
seed of Abraham, he's promised us the world. We know that. The promise that to Abraham and to his seed that he should be the heir of the world. That puts a different perspective on things, doesn't it? We talked last week about those people wandering around in sheepskins and goatskins and out in the desert and in the mountains. They're wandering around on their own land. Just like Abraham was a sojourner in the land of promise. Right now, this world is being usurped by, by wicked men, but there's a day coming when the ones who are being burned at the stake are going to inherit the very world that those others are controlling right now. So God promised Abraham a seed. He promised him a land. What else did He promise him? This is all review, but it's been quite a while since we've looked at this. Alright, He promised him a multitude of descendants. Um, what's another way of saying He promised to raise up a nation. He promised to raise up a nation. What was the nation that he raised up? Israel. Physical fulfillment was Israel. But there is a spiritual fulfillment of this nation, and that nation is what? The church. The church. Now, what verses? Are there any verses that say that? Do you remember? All right, First Peter two nine, but you, that is Christians, are a chosen race. Well, now I thought the chosen race was the Jews. No, you're the chosen race. If you're a Christian, you're the chosen race. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Well, I thought that was the Jews. No, that's the Christians. They're the real priest. No Jew is ever a real priest. Taking taking. Uh, Blood of goats and offering that is not priesthood, but offering spiritual sacrifices up to God. See, we are, He has made us to be kings and priests. So you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The church is a holy nation. A people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, <clears throat> what an amazing thing this is. The church is that nation that God all along actually... I mean, Israel was a shadow. He chose them. He separated them. They were a holy nation to Him. They were set apart. All that was just a shadow compared to what the church is, to what true believers are. The true children of Abraham, the true nation, the true special ones that are set apart are, are the church. Another one in Matthew twenty one forty three, Jesus gave that parable of uh, the vineyard. And He says that He will take away that vineyard from those wretched men and He will give it to a nation that will bring forth the fruit of the vineyard. Matthew twenty one forty three. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. So the kingdom is going to be given to a nation that produces the fruit. 
And what that means is, is that any time we see something that calls itself the church that's not producing the, pr- the fruit, it's not the church. Because the, the church is guaranteed to produce the fruit of the kingdom. So God promised Abraham a seed. He promised him a nation. He promised him a land. And what else did he promise him? What's that? All right, that's actually that. Um, if you want, and that's why I stopped a little earlier. That's the most basic thing there is. That's more basic than anything. I will be your God. And really, we'd have to take uh, all of these and put them in that context. But uh, there's something else that he promised Abraham. All right, that goes back to, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, the, the, the fact that he is the father of, in, the, in being the father of the nation, the church, he is the father of many nations because the people that make up the church come from all around. But there's something else that he said. Blessing. He says, surely, he says, surely blessing, I will bless you. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God promised Abraham a blessing. Now, what was the blessing? Well, he had all kinds of material prosperity. He was greatly blessed physically. But that's not the big blessing, is it? Uh, Paul talked about the blessing right here in Romans 4. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven and whose iniquities are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin God will not take into account. Let's look at it again in Galatians because it's important enough to keep being reminded of this. Galatians chapter 3. And beginning at verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. That's preaching the gospel. He said that's what he calls it. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith, however the law is not of faith, but on the contrary, who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now look at this. The curse and the blessing. Verse 13. Cursed 
And then verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing might come. And then he talks again about the promise in verse 14. See that? And so, what's this blessing? Well, God preached a gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying that people from all over the whole world are going to pass out of the state of being under the curse and pass into the state of being under the blessing. Because they're going to be justified. Their sins are going to be covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So back there when God promised Abraham a seed, it was much bigger than Isaac. And back there when He promised him a nation, it was a spiritual nation. And when He promised him a land, it was the whole world. And the new heavens and the new earth. And when He promised Him a blessing, it was a whole lot more than physical blessing. It had to do with not being under the curse anymore. Alright, what else then? What else was promised? What's involved in these promises that we will inherit? Well, we looked at one of these already. I read it from Genesis 22. Let me just read it to you again. Your seed... Now that's Christians. Your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies isn't that a blessed thought your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies for the christian there is a promise of victory over the powers of darkness jesus said i give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy nothing shall by any means injure you so he says your seed and this is something we can hold up before god lord you said that we would possess the gates of our enemies. You promised that. That's for the church. That's for me. I can, I can stand on that promise uh, that uh, Christ has given me victory over the powers of darkness. Well, what else did we uh, glean from these promises made to Abraham? Think of this, Genesis 12:3. In you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now what an encouragement that is for missions to go out into the world. Because I can go, and this is something Paul Washer mentioned, in this area of going and sharing the gospel and reaching out to the world. When you go, you go with the absolute certainty. You stay there long enough, you, you witness, you pray, you cry out to God. Somebody's going to be saved. That's a promise. In you, he promises this, this is, a, this is a certainty. Surely this is going to happen. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just talking about getting a little blessing here and there, of the fact that you're associated with the gospel, but what's the blessing? Salvation, justification. So we have a promise as Abraham's children, and Abraham had that promise, that every family in the earth men from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. So wherever you go, you can go to the headhunter somewhere and know that the gospel is not going to fall on deaf ears. God's going to fulfill. And as a missionary, what what better promise to hold up to God than this? God, you said. You said that, that every family in the earth would be blessed through this seed that was coming through Christ. 
In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here's another one. Genesis 15.1. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now that's true for Abraham and for all of his children. You don't have to be afraid. God is your shield. That's something. He says, I'll protect you like the pupil of my eye. That's God being your shield. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. I am a shield. I am a shield to you. What an amazing thing. Your reward shall be very great. Great beyond imagination. Here's another one. The one Tim mentioned. Genesis 17.7 I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. What a blessed thing that is. God has promised to be my God. He promised that 4,000 years ago. Here's another one, Genesis 18, 18. Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. You know that's a description of the church? A great and mighty nation. Do we think of ourselves in that way? The people, it says in Daniel, the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That ought to be our attitude. We are a great and mighty nation. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not an attitude of defeat and misery. It's an attitude of, by, by the grace of God, realizing that even though we are the least of all peoples, we are a great and mighty nation. Spiritually speaking. Well, let me give you one more. Genesis 13, 16 and twenty two seventeen. This is what God says. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth. Think of this in terms of the promise of how many people are going to be saved. Even though it's few compared to the many, still there's going to be a a vast multitude of true Christians in heaven, like the dust of the earth. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. So God has promised, and when we think of heaven, I mean, we shouldn't think of 50 people there. We, should, we ought to be thinking of a vast multitude like the dust, like, what's he, like the dust, like the stars, and like the sand. Now let me read it to you. <clears throat> Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation... And all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Revelation 19.6, And I heard, as it were, <coughs> excuse me, the voice of a great multitude. And as the sound... <clears throat> I'm going to have to have a drink of water. I just lost it. Sorry.
<clears throat> I've been trying all types of things to overcome this, and it's not working so far. I actually had somebody offer um, their wife is a what a speech therapist or something <laughs> to try to get me to where I can talk. <clears throat> Revelation nineteen six. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters. Now, if you've ever been to a place like Niagara Falls, I mean, it is deafening. As the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So we're talking about a sound like the sound of mighty peals of thunder from coming from the redeemed multitude. Well, wonderful promises. As the dust of the earth. And I think these are things that we can hold up to the Lord. I mean, when we're praying for some lost loved one, or all of our lost loved ones, or the whole church. I mean, <clears throat> you say, Lord, you promised that you'd save so many people that it'd be like the dust of the earth. So would you save some more now? I mean, if there's ever a reason to think that God's going to save more rather than less, it would be promises like that. For those of us that know Him and He's put people in our path. Well, Let's let's reread this section then back in Romans 4 uh, and follow the flow down through here. Verse 13, For the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. How do we know that? Well, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified because all the law does is condemn. For the law brings about wrath. But on the other hand, if there isn't any law, if there isn't any contingency, where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it's by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all in the sight of God. So he concludes this whole thing by saying that Abraham is the father of us all in God's sight. And he goes back and quotes a verse from the Old Testament to prove it. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. So Paul says that that promise that he would be the father of many nations. It was fulfilled physically, but he says this is talking about something spiritual. Uh, he's the father of all uh, Jewish believers and all Gentile believers from all tribes and tongues and kindred and nations. <clears throat> Let's just uh, look back there in closing. Genesis 17.
Genesis 17 and verse 1, this passage that Paul quotes from. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant. Notice here the word establish. It's the word give. I will give my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. See, See the emphasis on promise? God initiated this. And God talked with him while he's on his face. Saying, as for me, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be. Promise again, see. My covenant is with you. As for me, my covenant is with you. This is all from God's side. Coming down in grace upon this man who was an idolater originally. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, that is, father of a multitude. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Not just a multitude, but a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And then he tells them about keeping his covenant by being circumcised, which was the sign of this special relationship that he had with God. And then look at verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, princess, shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. And then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Barren woman, see. Sarah is a picture of the church. She shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Um, This whole section is so rich, but this Abraham's 99 years old. And in this section, finally, God changes changes their names. And he calls him the father of a multitude of nations, and he calls her princess. And what you have taking place here is you have people that are past the point. I mean, she was already barren, and now she's Sarah's womb is now dead as far as having children is concerned, aside from the fact she's barren, and Abraham's 99 years old. 
Now, what's Paul leading up to? He's going back to this section. This is a big, important section to him, and he's getting ready to talk about the nature of saving faith. What is the nature of saving faith? What exactly did Abraham believe God about? He's believing God's promise. What does that promise involve? Well, it involves, first of all, God giving life to the dead, even in the area of Abraham and Sarah's body. You see? And it also involves a God who calls those things that don't exist as already existing. He says, I've made you the father of many nations. And he calls his name father of a multitude of nations, and he doesn't even have one child yet. And he calls Sarah a princess, and she doesn't even have any children yet. And you see, in God's sight, he declares it as done, even though it hadn't happened yet. You see that? So what Paul is leading up to, he says, this is, the, and we're, Lord, Lord willing, we'll talk about this next time. This is the nature of saving faith. It believes in a God who raises the dead, and it believes in a God who calls things out of nothing, that don't, th- things that don't exist yet at all. I mean, God's able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. <laughs> See? He calls those things that do not exist as existing. And that's the nature of saving faith. And that's true of the Christian. Every Christian believes in the God who raises the dead. And he believes in the God who calls those things that don't exist as existing. For example, Jesus, Jesus meets Peter and he says, You're Simon. From now on, you're going to be called Peter. Well, Peter was not, Simon was not Peter. He was, but he hadn't entered into being Peter yet. And it took a long time. And that starts the day you become a Christian. Immediately when you become a Christian, you're called saints. You're a holy one. That's God calls those things that are not as existing right then. And it starts there. Just like when God said to uh, Ezekiel, he says, I've made your forehead as hard as theirs. Well, I don't think he felt any kind of you know hardness come in there at the time God said that. It was something he had to take by faith and stand on and walk in. But it was done the moment God said it. Well, Paul's going to show that this faith that Abraham had is the same kind of faith that every Christian has. It's supernaturally given faith. And that's the only reason that it can continue on the way it does. And it continually meets greater and greater obstacles as it goes along, and it overcomes those obstacles because it's a faith given by God. Faith that isn't given by God doesn't make it. At some point, like Don spoke last week, it turns back at those hard sayings. Well, amen. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at these exceeding great and precious promises that you've made. And we pray that you would, we we hold them up to you and we pray, Lord, would you save a multitude of people like the sand which is by the sea? Would you work in our lives to give us victory that we might possess the gates of our enemies in every area, Lord, of our lives where we're still Uh, defeated even from time to time, Lord. We're praying that 
you would fulfill this promise that we might possess the gates of our enemies fully and completely. Lord, we pray you'd fulfill the promise where you said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Lord, uh, wherever there's any idols in our lives, we pray that you would smash them and break them down, that you would be our God. Thank you for this promise. And uh, Lord, uh, we thank you for the promise that uh, all the families of the earth will be justified, blessed, and taken out from under the curse, and that there will be men from among every tribe and every tongue and every kindred before your throne. Lord, we thank you for the promise of the triumph of the gospel as we go out. And uh, we pray that you'd help us to believe and to walk in these promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's be dismissed and...